The following is an encore presentation of Exploring Missions. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. The experience I had as a young pastor was being a pastor of a mission church. It was a church plant in a county seat town here in Mississippi. And it was the joy of my life to begin there. I never heard the words, we've never done it that way before, because we had never done it that way before. And uh, it was new and fresh. What a joy it was. And I still love the time that Jen and I spent there as pastor and wife. The church that I spent 28 years, uh, one church, 28 years, counting the time I was there at as youth minister over 30 years in one church was a church plant from a church here in our town of Tupelo. And I got the privilege of being the pastor of a church plant, although it had been years ago and it had grown. But what a joy it is to be a part of a church that is has missions and want to be a part of something and uh, so today we want to look at that. Our co-host is Nathan Harper. And Nathan, Church Planting launched you out as a missionary, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had served as a youth minister, yes. And it but, was the first youth ministry role that I, I took on. It was actually, it was volunteer. They took up like love offerings for me from time to time. But it was actually a plant church of a, of a local church in town so yeah yeah amen. and then you went to a, a full-time position and then from there uh, moved to alabama to do mission work yeah. uh, we in mississippi thought alabama needed that mission That's work right. you we know <laughs> it's kind of a go to the dark places right <laughs> yeah and uh but church plants is part of your dna a part of your desire and what you've observed on uh, concerning missions it's just a part of what you know god wants for churches to do isn't it yeah i mean just First of all, I'll just say it's been a privilege to be a part of different church planting efforts and in lots of different ways of doing that and seeing that the fruit from that and uh, lots of different types of churches and, and things. But um, really a great joy in that, but also a great joy in seeing any church, whether a new church or an old existing established church, legacy church, whether they're organic or a house church or whatever, all the shapes, sizes, and stripes, to see God's church become or grow in, develop in their mission-sending capacity. Not seeding capacity, but sending capacity. And so that's kind of what we want to look at today is some best practices or three, three strategic steps for a local church to become or grow in their mission-sending capacity. One of the joys, of, another joy of my life was when you and I worked together on the staff. It was fun, father and son. And uh, Bible John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in faith and is to work with them. 
And one of the places we went was to a Latin American country. Mm-hmm. And God using my gifts and your gifts strategically to equip. I I am a preacher. I'm a teacher getting into the Bible. And I took it, okay, I want to go down there and want to be effective in helping them if I can. And so I said, if I only had a Bible without the Internet, without a Bible dictionary, without a commentary, could I preach the Word? So every, before I'd go, every year I'd get in just my Bible yeah. and just get outlines and different things to go and trying to teach pastors an effective way to share the Word of God. And I, I, I loved it as much as anything yeah. I ever did. Then you would follow up later on that same year to the same group of pastors, and you were equipping them in discipleship in one-on-one and one-in-group and teaching them how to multiply the ministry. And God was using that, and that church was sending us, to, and we were able to take people with us. I'd take a group with me when I'd go. You'd take a group of people. And it really is amazing what that energizes most people. There are some people, uh, whether they want to be or they maybe just not be, they may be a part, an attachment to the church, but not a part of it because they've never been born again. Mm -hmm. But those people that have a born again experience and they're thrust into that kind of atmosphere, you know this is what it's about. Absolutely. And when a church discovers that, it changes everything, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, what you're talking about is uh, equipping church leaders. And so today we want to do some of that, equip any church leaders who might be listening, but not just the church leaders, but the whole body, the entire priesthood, the priesthood of all believers that are maybe joining us, listening. We want to give you some strategic steps to becoming, you could say, a healthy New Testament church. Another way of saying that is a mission-sending church. I think they're synonymous. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of it is. So yeah. the first one we want to look at is we want to uh, we want to see churches, a, a local church, to develop a biblical perspective of missions, understand what the Bible teaches all throughout from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. What all does the Bible say about missions? And one of the first things to kind of get a grip on about that is is understand that the Great Commission at the end of your four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, was not just some addendum added at the end of of the Gospels, like a bonus feature or something. It's an essential part of a a church. It's an essential part of the Bible to see God's global redemptive mission from Genesis to Revelation and all that it entails and responsibilities and the blessings that go along with that and seeing what the Bible says about, about mission work. And so we've done some episodes and shows about, about that. We don't have time to get into that today. But there's lots of resources out there and encourage you, whether you're a, uh, a leader in your church, a pastor, maybe someone on a missions committee, a team, um, small group leader, or just ordinary average Christian brother or sister, I want to encourage you to see what the Bible says about missions. An easy, good way to start is to simply either get a search tool on your uh, on your device, computer, or just get an old-fashioned commentary, uh, not a commentary, a uh, concordance. Remember those? <laughs> I remember. I, believe it or not, I still have yeah. it. Yeah. And look up the word nations. Oh. Um, and everywhere you see the word nations mentioned in the Bible, Old and New Testament, 
hundreds of times, pick and choose some of the verses throughout the Bible and, and see what God might have to say in his word about missions. So God has the nations on his heart. Let me remind you what the Bible's all about. It's two things, creation and redemption. <laughs> Jesus was active in our creation, and then he is the centerpiece of everything concerning our redemption. And so missions is about the redemption. Yeah. And so it's exciting to be a part of that kind of ministry that changes lives. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for a church to get on board and have this biblical perspective on their mission is, is exciting. Yeah. So first thing to develop a biblical perspective of missions, we want to, uh, yeah, we want to see what the Bible says, get a biblical basis of missions. Another thing is to understand the local and global context, what the Bible says, what the Bible's perspective about a global context, about a local context. A good verse to kind of understand that, help us to start thinking about that is Acts 1.8. Okay. Would you mind reading that? I sure will. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay. So many churches have used this as kind of a model for how they go about understanding contexts for missions and ministry. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of it because there, you know, there's some things I think we can do better with that. That could be another show. But for right now, let's just understand the point that missions is to, be, is to be done and carried out by local churches locally and globally. Not either or, but both and. Right, not either or, not picking and choosing, which that unfortunately happens even a lot today. Not either or, but both and. And not sequentially either. Not first we'll get Jerusalem handled, and once we got a good grasp of that, then we'll move on to other places, and then we'll move on to the ends of the earth eventually. It's not sequentially, it's simultaneously. Right. It's both and together at the same time. One, of the one early, would inform the other, actually. Early on in one of the churches I pastored, there was a lady who was so involved in missions, a great lady. I learned... Uh, I'll put it this next to you, Nathan. She taught me more about missions than anyone else in my life. And she would say, Pastor, it's not back then it was called national, international mm-hmm. missions. It is missions. And she said, and she taught without a seminary education, without a college degree. You know what? Yeah. She knew we were on mission for God yeah. wherever and whenever. Yeah. And she had that view. And because she had it, she shared it with her pastor. Her pastor began to pick it up, but it also influenced the whole church. One exactly. person, yeah, one person who has this global and and local context of missions can really change a lot of lives. Absolutely. So this looks practically like different ways in different churches. Again, we don't have the time to go into it. Just kind of giving you some kind of structure framework today of uh, these strategies. But it sounds like the lady that you're talking about probably also had a firm grasp of this next element of, uh, you know, developing a biblical perspective of missions. She probably also had, and she took ownership of the Great Commission. (laughs) We need to see churches actually understand this commission was not just for the 12 2,000 years ago. It's for us now. It's for each of us. It's for our church, our, our whole church body. It's for me. And really, 
grasping the idea of a personal sentness. Now, sentness is not a word. I just made it up. But in other words, understanding and believing, I am sent by God to be on mission, to live a life on mission for him. When you when you hear that and you see it demonstrated, I, I want to talk about it. We We teach it. Yeah. When you teach this, certain people come into my mind that I have observed them carrying this out in their lives. Mm-hmm. Some of the people I know were restricted because of physical ailments, but they still felt sent. Yeah. And they had a personal responsibility. They had a personal responsibility. And one particular would, she worked with girls mm-hmm. to share their mission. And they were called of God to carry out the Great Commission. And again, from that group of, of girls that she taught year after year, out of that have come people who are on mission for God. Yeah. That ownership really takes I, – I, can we discard ownership because of our physical condition? Or I, No, if, you've, if you're saved, you should take ownership regardless of your circumstance. Amen. Amen. So – those are just some, some thoughts about developing a biblical perspective of missions, which would be the first step in becoming a mission-sending church. Okay, the, the second step, we want to move on. The second step is to cultivate, cultivate strategic partners. So we're, you know, we're using uh, kind of growing metaphors and wording, developing a biblical perspective of missions, cultivating strategic mission partners. So what do we mean by cultivating strategic partners? Well, one aspect of this is raising up people, members of the church, to fill key roles within the church. Now, we have key roles within the church for ministry and anything from like helping people find their seat, taking up offering, parking lot security, teachers of of small groups and classes, people that count money, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Do we have key key roles, strategic roles for missions. And you know what? You can have some. Let me just name just a few, okay? We need people who, after taking personal ownership of the Great Commission and understanding a biblical perspective of missions, who move on to steps of action and faith to become things like givers, people that give, not just themselves, but champion the church to give financially to missions and mission missionaries and mission projects, okay? So we need givers. We need uh, senders, people that will mobilize others to maybe it's take a short-term mission trip. Maybe it's to actually to educate others to what the Bible does say about missions, to provide opportunities to other people to go on missions. Obviously, you need people to go. You need goers, but you need senders as well, and you need givers, and you definitely need prayers, people that will pray and uh, bombard heaven with prayers for for God's work all over the world. When you were giving that list, I thought, you know what? Where does prayers fit in? And I thought every the giver ought to be a prayer, a sender ought to be a prayer, and yeah. the gore better be a prayer. Absolutely. No one's no <clears throat> one's exempt from being yeah. that. Have you ever heard there's nothing that would keep anybody in the church to, from being a prayer warrior? Mm, that's right. To be a teacher, you got to have some gifts. Mm-hmm. To sing, you got to have something I don't have. <laughs> to preacher, yeah, you got to have some things. But there's nothing that would keep anyone from becoming the prayer warrior they need to be. Yeah, 
And, that's right. And it's vital, isn't it? Every major work that's ever been done has been saturated in prayer. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about prayer in a little bit, but that's that's a good some good points there. And uh, so there are strategic roles, key roles within the church that we can start looking for, identifying people to raise them up to fit these roles. And specifically, we just need more missionaries. And so it's the local church's responsibility to raise up missionaries from within their congregation to send people out. Another one I didn't mention, but we need people to care for missionaries that are already on the field, mission oh, pastoral care workers. That's vitally needed. Can I, I want to insert yeah. here, Randall Murphy, who is our AFA journal editor, he went on a mission with a man to a mission conference that was taking place on foreign soil, and alone they took someone to, that could cut hair, someone that could take care of the nails, the, right. the lady missionaries, so many things like that. And they took these people and just ministered to those missionaries. They paid their way. They went there, and they just cared for yeah. them. Yeah. Because some of them were serving in places no woman is going to get her nails done, couldn't get a hair, you know, all the things. Yeah. That, and they wanted to bless them. That's, that's a great, it's a great ministry. Isn't it, it is. It really is vital and important. Yep. So we can raise up, see these people raised up within the church. But what about without the church, like outside the church walls? There are partners, strategic partners that are already in the field or going to the field, whether they're missionaries themselves who are looking for extra help, looking for a church to come along beside them, walk with them, provide that care, provide the prayer support, financial support. But there's also like national partners and ministries in place in some of these countries that, um, you know, it's really crucial for some of these um, national partners to have what you would call Western-based churches, local churches, to be their partners. Now, there's always caution and care that you have to be very intentional about that relationship. Well, really what we're talking about, though, is building relationships and you know, that's what mission work really is, yeah. is, is building relationships. Being a part of AFR, we have partners. Part of our mission statement is to aid the church in carrying out the Great Commission at home and, and globally. Right. And so we're a radio station, but we can partner with others who are taking Bibles into school, students taking Bibles into the schools, mm-hmm. taking gifts to children all over the world with the gospel message and following it up with discipleship. Again and again, partnerships, I, I believe God honors that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that it's not like we're, it's all about us, but it's a, how valuable that is, Nathan, is beyond description. Paul didn't go by himself. He went with Barnabas and then Silas, and along the way, he picked up Luke and yeah. uh, <laughs> Timothy yeah. and others. And the un- thing that one thing to understand about developing partnership and relationships with workers outside our local body, but people that might be in the field serving as mission workers, the blessing and the benefit goes both ways. You know, it's not just us for them. We learn from them as well. and They bless us as well. And the church can be a, become a, a place that champions this ministry or 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 maybe this people group that they're focused on. Or, um, you know, anyway, I, I, I see strate- strategic, biblical, healthy partnerships between local churches and other ministries and missionaries as being 
uh, reciprocal, and it's a blessing. Lots of intangible, but many, many tangible ways, it's a blessing for both parties. I think that's how God intends it. And you can really, most of the New Testament letters that were written were were that sort of relationship and partnership. A lot of the letters, we get a lot of great theology and ecclesiology out of it, but a lot of it was just mission support raising letters. Especially the church at Philippi. Yeah. Uh, I, the, church, the book of Philippi, I love because they didn't have a lot of problems. And I think a pastor dreams about pastoring a church like that. <laughs> Not a lot of problems. But he was writing to them saying, thank you so much. Yeah. He said, nobody has ministered with me in the gospel like you have. Yeah. Thank what you a for testimony. being a partner in the gospel. Yeah. What a test. Don't, that would be an awesome testimony. Yeah. It really is. What it a is. what a testimony of a church that you can be seen as a partner in the gospel in different corners of the world. Yeah. Really awesome. Another part of developing and cultivating strategic partners is relationship with agencies or denominational groups. Uh, depending on your church, what you know, if they're a part of a denomination, most of your churches will have a denominational mission sending agency or function that your local church can partner with and uh, build relationships with key leaders in that. But they're also kind of freestanding agencies, non-denominational, if you will, that will uh, help you as a church grow in these ways, but they'll also help support the mission workers on the field. And they're kind of a go-between, and they can strengthen both both of those uh, key players between the church or the missionary. Amen. So uh, look for ways to grow in those relationships with, with agencies. Now, ready for our third step. First, we're talking about developing a biblical perspective of missions. Second step is to cultivate strategic partnerships, both within and without the church. Third step, grow in simple missional practices. And again, this is for not just church leaders, but for every member, every person in the pew, to grow in practical strategies, missional practices. And going back to what we've talked about already a little bit, the importance of prayer. Everybody can be a prayer warrior. Everybody can pray. Pray for missionaries. Pray for people groups, unreached people groups. Pray for your partners. And that's the thing that partnerships helps. It helps in putting concrete images, faces, and real experiences with our prayer. It's one thing to say, Pray for brother or sister so-and-so, a name on our prayer list that's a missionary in whatever country. It's another thing to say, pray for brother or sister so-and-so. I know them. I've been there. I've, I've talked to them. They've stayed in my home when they've come to visit. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So those partnerships are really instrumental, even in helping our prayers. Besides praying, you know, a praying church, man, you can't get better than that. A praying church will become, I believe, if they're praying biblically, will become a mission-sending church. You know, I, I tell people, quote, I'm the pastor and all that, said, I can tell you the most important people in this church are the prayer warriors. Yeah. Now, the good thing, that pastor may be the prayer warrior. That Sunday school teacher may be the prayer warrior. You can attach prayer warrior to anything right. of service yeah. to the Lord. You can become that. So praying, pra- practicing mission-focused praying, but also practicing mission-focused giving, giving specifically, strategically, sacrificially for the purpose of spreading the gospel, making disciples of all the nations. 
means like giving up some potential programs that you want to see run in the church, uh, giving up some plans that might happen down the road. Instead, let's give to what God might be planning to do in this part of the world. So, you know, mission giving is crucial and vital and important. And when you do that, God says he loves generous, but the real word is hilarious. Yeah, cheerful givers. Yeah, And, and I was hearing that the other day, Nathan, and I was raised on the farm, and every once Daddy would share some of the stuff, but it wasn't like a regular check or anything. And I remember the first job that I had where I got a check, and they gave it to me. Hmm. And I remember I'm going to get to tithe out of that. Right. It wasn't like a tithing was a legalistic, but it was a measuring stick. And so I took that, and I remember the joy I had of sharing that and it, the part of it is uh, the joy is more blessed to give than to receive. And so becoming that giver on missions, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of the joy yourself. It, it comes back Absolutely. on you as Absolutely. a blessing. And we could say a lot about this. You know, we could preach sermons about I know it. I nearly the importance did. of giving. <laughs> and I think, it, I think it, we always need that reminder, you know, because a couple things really reveal our heart, our calendar, our plan book, but also our checkbook. Yeah you know, bank account statements, that shows. And that's not just for individuals, but for churches as well. You won't, as a church, you won't become a mission-sending church vital to the advancement of the kingdom of God in this world. You won't become that unless you give toward it. I believe it. you got to pray it. you got to give it. Last thing, you got to share the gospel. Developing simple, practical members of the church who can just share the gospel, simply put, learn how to share the gospel, learn the effective tools to do that, the simple tools, reproducible tools of sharing the gospel. What if everybody's a prayer warrior? What if everybody's a giver at whatever level of giving that they can give? But what if everybody's ready to share the gospel and sowing gospel seeds? Man, what kind of church would that be? It would be. Uh, the two churches that come to my mind in the Bible that really seemed to probably have most of those, if not all those characteristics, was the church at Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas out, and then the church at Philippi. Those two churches, that man, they were models of biblical perspective, taking ownership, and then growing. Yeah. They didn't just they didn't talk about what they had done. They were talking about what they could do. That's right. I think, you know, it's beyond time. It's past time that we we stop measuring success of church local churches by seating capacity. When you start yeah, like how many people you can get in a pew on a Sunday. We need to start measuring how many workers we're sending out into the harvest field. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into that Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. We pray that God has spoken to your heart. I pray that you would share it with others and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The AFA Journal helps you stay in touch with issues of the day. 
articles by award-winning writers open your eyes with different perspectives. Shorter pieces document current trends. You'll find monthly columns by financial expert Dan Celia and AFA President Tim Wildman. Even the ads put you in touch with various AFA departments and other ministry organizations. Subscribe to the AFA Journal and stay up to date on the American Family Association and the Culture War when you visit afajournal.org.